Hi everyone, I'm Darren Nair, the creator and host of Pod Hostage Diplomacy. We're currently taking an extended break right now because I'm dealing with health issues. We will be back once I have fully recovered. Thank you so much for listening to Pod Hostage Diplomacy and take care. Welcome to Pod Hostage Diplomacy. We work to free hostages and the unjustly detained around the world. Together with their families, we share their stories and let you know how you can help bring them home. Now, when it comes to using the family to get for Russia to get what they want, if that's the case, they've picked the wrong family because I'm not going to carry water for the Russian authorities. These are some of the most courageous and resilient people among us. I never thought that my mother, Nahi Tagavi, will ever have a link to negotiations in Vienna about the JCPOA. That's so crazy. People who have never given up hope. Trevor told his girlfriend to tell me to, to be strong. So I'm trying to be strong for Trevor. You know, if, if Trevor can cope with what he's dealing with, exactly. we, we can sure cope with the stress. People who will never stop working to reunite their families. We'd like to meet with the president. Uh, we believe that, you know, he has, uh, he's surrounded by lots of uh, experienced and educated advisors, but I don't believe that any of them have ever had a, a child taken hostage by a foreign country, especially not a superpower like Russia. And we'll be right there by their side until their loved one comes back home. Because um, if enough people care, then the right people will care enough. I'm Darren Nair, and I've been campaigning with many of these families for years. When I first started campaigning with these families, I noticed they struggled to get the media attention they needed. So I decided to create this podcast, which is a safe space for the families to speak as long as they need to about their loved ones and what needs to be done to bring them home. Nobody can prepare you for what our family is going through. Even if someone had told me one year before, in one year, this is going to happen, prepare yourself. It's impossible. Thank you for listening and welcome to Port Hostage Diplomacy. Welcome to Port Hostage Diplomacy. Jose Pereira from Houston, Texas is an innocent American permanent resident, a husband, a father and a grandfather. Jose worked for US oil company Sitco Petroleum where he was acting president and CEO. In November 2017, shortly before Thanksgiving, Jose was instructed to travel to Venezuela with a few of his American colleagues to attend a business meeting in Caracas. During that meeting in Caracas, Jose and his five other American colleagues were arrested on false charges and wrongfully imprisoned in the country. Collectively, they were known as the Sitco Six. On the 8th of March this year, one of the Sitco Six members, Gustavo Cadenas, was released and is now back home in the United States with his family. Jose and the other members of the Sitgo 6 remained in prison in Venezuela. Earlier this month on 1st October, almost five years since Jose and his colleagues were arrested, the US government secured the release of seven American citizens wrongfully detained in Venezuela, including Jose himself and the remaining members of the Sitgo 6. The following is a statement from US President Joe Biden on their release. Today, after years of being wrongfully detained in Venezuela, we are bringing home Jorge Toledo, Tomeo Vidal, Alirio Zambrano, Jose Luis Zambrano, Jose Pereira, Matthew Heath, and Osman Khan. These individuals will soon be reunited with their families and back in the arms of their loved ones 
where they belong. I am grateful for the hard work of dedicated public servants across the US government who made this possible and who continue to deliver on my administration's unflinching commitment to keep faith with Americans held hostage and wrongfully detained all around the world. Today, we celebrate that seven families will be whole once more. To all the families who are still suffering and separated from their loved ones who are wrongfully detained, know that we remain dedicated to securing their release. It is also a priority of my administration to prevent Americans from having to endure the unimaginable pain of being held hostage or wrongfully detained. This summer, I signed an executive order that will impose new costs, including sanctions and visa bans, against the perpetrators of such acts. In addition, the State Department has introduced a new warning indicator, specifically the letter D, that is designed to help Americans understand where and when travel may incur increased risks of wrongful detention, potentially for long periods of time. If travelers make the decision to go despite this D warning, they need to know that they are incurring massive personal risk and that it may not be feasible for the US government to secure their release. That was a statement from US President Joe Biden. All the families of the Sigo 6 are strong and resilient and they campaign tirelessly to reunite their families. We can confirm this ourselves because we interviewed the families of five members of the Sigo 6. In August this year, I had the honor of interviewing Jose's son, John Pereira. In this interview, John talks at length about his father's arrest, the conditions of his detention, Jose's medical issues, including his heart attack and catching COVID-19, his sham trial, as well as what the US government, journalists, and the public can do to help. If you want to listen to this interview, you can do so on our website at pothostagediplomacy.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Today, we get to do something we've never done before. We get to interview a former hostage who we campaigned for while they were in captivity. Today, we have the honor of interviewing Jose Pereira himself. Jose, it is so good to see you. I'm so happy that you're free and back home in the United States, reunited with your family. I also know that it's only been a few weeks since your release and you have now started this long road of recovery and the wounds are still fresh. So I'm grateful that you've taken the time to speak to us today to share your story. Darren, thank you very, very much for, for having me. And it's quite of an honor being with you because uh, I know you have been doing this uh, so long, taking care of the families and some ex um person that were in, in jail and for me it's an honor they can talk with you because now I can talk about my case and, and try to give a kind of a message to the rest of the families that they have loved ones left behind. So it's an honor. Thank you very much and it's an honor to help. I mean it's one of the most rewarding things I've done in my life so it's an honor to help. Okay so first of all can you please walk us through what happened from the moment you found out that you were finally going home after almost five years in captivity? Okay, yes. Um, before we begin in, the, in this, we have to try to keep a little bit of the, the story behind this because, uh, you know, uh, we in December 2021 received the first time the visit of Ambassador Roger Carson. There is a and they was appointed by for the office created for the hostage is uh, handling the state SPF. So he he went to Venezuela in December 2021 and was the first time we saw him 
face to face. In that moment, we, we realized that we were very close to be realized, uh, released in any moment. We didn't know when, but we were more, more with hope that it would happen in any moment. So he, he, he had a meeting with us and we, we knew he had meetings on one on one with some Venezuelan officials. And, uh, you know, that, that time he didn't come with nobody. But he opened the, the conversation, let's say. He came back three months later in March uh, 2021, uh, 2022, sorry. And, you know, we made the, him the question if, if he's going to release somebody. His answer by the moment was no. But the truth of the matter is that that night he uh, could uh, go back with Gustavo, Gustavo Cárdenas. For us was the kind of the beginning of what finally happened for the rest of us. It gave us a lot of hope that we were in the process that the, the rest of the five could be released soon in any moment. You know? So he came back on June 2022, let's say three months later. And by that time, you know, Matthew, Matthew, he was having some kind of illness. He was in the hospital. We were aware about that situation. And we realized that maybe he will kind of have some kind of priority because in that moment he was ill. But unfortunately, Ambassador Carton, uh, he came back with his uh, hands empty that, that day. was kind of a disappointing to our family, to tell you the truth. The family got really disappointed and down. And, you know, it was kind of funny because the rest of our five, we were kind of a, with really big hope that that will be the case that we will be releasing any moment. So we were telling our families, don't go down. Keep, 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 keep doing the hard work because this is going to happen in any moment. And, he, and then it came October 1st. You know, we were uh, that day very early in, in our cell and one of the guards came to us and asked us to get properly dressed. And we were kind of laughing because when every time they said properly dressed, uh, we had to put a, kind of a yellow outfit, and we call it the minion outfit. So we look like minions, you know. So we were dressing with our minion outfit, and uh, we saw the big boss of the of the Sevin coming to our jail, and he said, "No, no, no, no! Take out that that, that outfit. Put your civil outfit because you're gonna go home." So when he said that, my first question to him was, "What that means going home?" Because for us was kind of a surprise. And he said to us, you're gone. You're going to home. You're free. So in that moment, we, we realized that something was going on. But, you know, you, you still are kind of a skeptical. So they, 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 we went to the director's office. So we saw some doctors there to make some kind of medical test and some kind of paperwork. And after that, we were loaded in an armored truck and when the armored truck began to drive, I saw a sign that said uh, that we were going to the Ma Maiketia airport. The Maiketia airport is the airport of, of Caracas. So in that moment, we truly realized that we were going back home. So, but that was a kind of a process because uh, you know, we went to uh, to our airplane that was waiting us there so there was some guards there that they asked us to, you know, that we we're going to be tied with handcuffs and they were going to tie our legs 
and they were uh, were asking to put out some masks. And when when the, uh, I said I can accept the handcuffs, I can accept the legs, but I'm not gonna use a mask. So I told the guy I'm not gonna wear a mask. I, I'm sorry. So he he respected that. No mask. He he told us that we're gonna have a one and a half hour flight. So we we were kind of surprised because we said, where are we going to? One hour, one and a half, you know, to the U.S. is five hours. So we're going to be in the middle of the Caribbean. We were kind of guessing if we were going to go to Cuba, you know. So at the end, we landed in a very tiny island in the Caribbean. It was kind of funny because it's so tiny that even the, you know, the, 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 the airplane to land was kind of sketchy because it was so small, the island. Later on, we realized that it was San Vincent and the Grenadines. So we landed there, no sign. We didn't didn't recognize the flag that was there. So we had to wait. And kind of some minutes after, we saw a big airplane of the U.S. landing, and we said, here is our hero. Ambassador Carter came for us. So he landed there, and we were instructed, and, and we were getting out the, all the handcuffs and stuff, and we were instructed to go to the other plane, and well, the rest is history. We we went back to the U.S. When we were entering to the, the U.S. airspace, uh, the captain came out, and I remember the, the movie Argus about the time, because uh, when the guy said, hey, we're coming to the U, U.S. Air, 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 airspace, was kind of funny because everybody was hugging, everybody was laughing, everybody was uh, crying, and and after that we realized that Mr. Biden uh, uh, was calling our families, giving the big surprise uh, with a call, and, and, and Ambassador Carson passed us the phone. I could talk with my wife when I when, before we were landing, and kind of minutes after we were landing in San Antonio, and, and well. There, everybody was waiting as there it was a most emotional moment in my life. See my family there, see my grandson that I, I didn't know coming to me was the best moment I will remember ever. I can only imagine, but uh, I, I, I've had the privilege of seeing some of the photos you sent me. I mean, it's just amazing. I can only imagine how amazing that must have been for you and for the families. Um, and again, I'm so happy that you're now back home. Um, you were released with not just your uh, Sitgo colleagues, but also with former U.S. Marine Matthew Heath and Osman Khan. Was that the first time you met them face-to-face, -face, or did you bump into them in prison, or were they held somewhere else? No. You know, it was kind of funny, the, the situation, because Matthew, we never met him but uh, when we saw him coming to the plane, because we were following him, the, the story of him, his mom was doing an awesome job pushing hard for him. So we kind of thought that we, we knew this guy. So when, when I saw Matthew coming, I said, hey, you're Matthew. So it, it was a privilege knowing him the first time. And he was in, by the way, in the hospital with a guy that was with us when we were in the DSC. So kind of he knew our history and we knew about him. So it was kind of, it was two old buddies that were meeting after a long time. So yeah, we, even we didn't know him, we knew a lot of him and we were so glad to see him in that plane. And the same was with Osman. Osman is a very young guy, a very awesome guy. So 
I, I can tell you, we were so pleased that these guys were coming with us. Yeah, so um, I think the uh, Matthew Heats, sorry, Matthew Heats family, they posted a photo uh, of the, uh, two of them on the plane, smiling. Uh, and you could see Matthew's face uh, and you saw Osman's face and they were just uh, very happy. Um, I understand all of you were taken to a Department of Defense medical facility to go through health checks right after you were released. And this was in San Antonio. Um, can you talk more about this? Well, uh, basically, they, well, first of all, they did an awesome job with us because they treated us so well, uh, uh, taking care of all our, you know, our, our medical things. Because one, one of the things we went through all these five years is that really our, our health treatment was very, very poor. In fact, what's kind of lack of uh, medical treatment? In my particular case, I had a lot of uh, um, issues there in, from my health point of view. And I kind of survived it because I take care of my, by my own. So I was kind of uh, automedicating my own because normally you don't have a, a doctor treating to you. So it was so overwhelming seeing these guys so taking care of us not only from the physical point of view, so they, they were taking care from the psychological point of view. So there, there was a very uh, handful uh, psychologists that were helping us with the transition. Uh, they call it the, like a, the, the compression process. It's like a, the Coca-Cola that if you open it so fast, it it's blown. If you open it very quietly, it will go in a transition. So they, they helped us. And even my wife, could have attended that, that in some moment. So I'm really, really glad in uh, what, what what the U.S. government did uh, for us because it was a kind of a transition co coming to a new normal life that was really helpful. I, I have kind of a, uh, you know, the first day that I was there, I had to take a shower and I, I went to the, to, the, you know, to the shower. When I saw the hot hour, and I was so glad to have that. I stayed like a half hour in the, in the shower. And the nurse came to knock me the door because she, 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 she saw something wrong, what's going on. I said, hey, Mr. Pereira, are you good? okay? He said, I'm doing okay. So I stayed, I wanted to stay a, an hour there. <laughs> but yeah, it was kind of very, very, very awesome what these guys did to us. Um, how long was it before you actually got to go home? Because like you said, um, they call it the compression process, right? So I interviewed uh, Michael White. Uh, he's an American citizen and a U.S. Navy veteran who was held hostage in Iran for, I believe, around six, 600 days. And when he came home, he didn't really have a support system. So it was one of the worst moments of his life. But in your case, obviously, you're surrounded by family. How long was it before they actually let you go home? Or did you choose to go home early? Did they give you the option of staying longer? We were free to stay at the time we realized to, we needed, but all of us decided to stay the time that they decided it would be the right time to, to us. So we stayed around 10 days because it was really, really helpful. And let me tell you something. Uh, one day I was talking one one of the doctors and he made me the uh, some some story about that. You know when when the when the veterans came from World War II, 
The difference between that process and the veteran that came from Vietnam, for example, was different because the veteran that came from World War II came by ship and they went by, by weeks traveling with their colleagues, their co-workers, and they were talking among them. So they were in a kind of a, kind of a decompression process, a natural decompression process. The veteran that came in, in, in the Vietnam, they came alone by plane and went directly to their homes. So when they, when they came back to home, the shock between what they had been going through and the shock of their new life was kind of overwhelming. So, you know, you need that decompression process. So we're really glad they did it to us because even, even that you think that you're okay, you begin to realize there are things that you need to handle. So now, now I am fully aware of some situation because again, I have five years without seeing my wife and my kids. So now I, and my pets, you know, I have some pets that when I, when, when I left, they were very, very, you know, have like two or three months. Now they are five years old. So everything is new for me. So I, I'm kind of relearning that process. Okay. Absolutely. And you mentioned your grandson earlier. It was the first time you met him. Correct. When, when we arrived to San Antonio, I think this is going to be one of the best moments that I will remember ever. I believe he will also have his memories on that because we never met. I, I knew him by photos and he knew me by photo. I, I learned that day that my, my daughter-in-law was keeping every day showing photos of me saying, hey, this is grandpa. See his face. This is grandpa. So what's kind of funny because when, when they were then in the hangar waiting for us, uh, I saw a very tiny guy, you know, running to me and, and, and yelling, Hey, grandpa. I realized that was uh, my, my grandson, Lucas. So he jumped literally to me and that photo, I have it and I'm going to put in a portrait, a big portrait because it's so awesome. The photo. So yeah, for me, uh, you know, having, met him the first time in that way is going to be something remarkable for the rest of my life. I mean, I'm so happy for the two of you. Um, how are you doing now and what have you been up to since your release? Well, I, I have been going through several processes. One of, as I said, to, to recovering, to, you know, to the new life, what I, I, what I call the new normal that to tell you the truth, I still don't know what is going to be my new normal. Okay. But one of the things that, you know, I have been thinking during all the time that I was uh, there in jail, I always thought, what are going to you do when you get released? So I, 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 I always thought about that moment. And in some point, when I begin to, the first thing that when I begin to understand, that there is a lot of, of Americans there in a similar situation that us worldwide. For me, was the first was surprising. I, I was not aware of that, about that situation. I remember that back to, I believe, 2019, uh, our family went to, uh, to a meeting in the, in the White House with a former vice president. And, uh, that day there was a gala of that Foley Foundation that they were invited. And that day were invited a lot of families that had uh, uh, beloved ones kept in, you know, Russia, Iran, China. 
And, you know, when my wife could tell me about that, because by that point, we were kind of smuggling letters between us and we can have some kind of communication. And she she taught me about that. And I tried to begin to investi- investigate what was going on. And it's when the first time I realized that there are really a lot of people, 50, 60 people that are kept there. And I said, hey, you know what? This is something amazing. So, so I began to follow more their stories. And then happened that it began to uh, uh, appear some releases worldwide. We saw, for example, in TV when, when it was released, uh, some lady of Australia that we saw, well, I, I don't want to name that, but you know, uh, there was a lady after that was released in UK, in UK. And then it happened the release of Trevor in, in, in US. So every time I saw the interviews of them or their family, we found that there was a kind of a pattern because the suffering of the family is always the same. The families, all of them are always the same pain, is the same suffering. That is kind of a, is is exactly a pattern that that the the families and the and the people, of course, are are suffering. So I said, you know what? The day I go out, I'm gonna begin to talk among these people because it's kind of a you you believe that it's it's kind of a mission that 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 I need. So that's what I have been doing all these days. I have been doing some kind of interviews and and every time I'm trying to spread the message because one of the, the things that I really learned is that you need to have hope. You need to have faith. And, and, and because this is really the thing that keeps you alive. When you have the hope and the faith that you're going to come back to your loved ones and you're going to see them soon and, and you're going to be in a good mood. So my message to them is that. That don't lose the faith, don't lose the hope, and and I want to spread the message. So, I, I to tell you the truth, I, I don't know what I'm gonna do for my living from now on, but what I'm doing now, I'm feeling kind of glad doing it. Uh, th- that's great, and I also know you have a Twitter account now, and you've been raising awareness of other hostages held around the world, which is amazing. Um, we and their families are very grateful that you're doing this. So thank you for that, and please do keep on doing that. I also saw your post on Twitter where you said you've been spending time with your grandchildren. Clearly, you're making up for lost time with the family, all the missed birthdays, the anniversaries, and life events. What has that been like? Well, it's something amazing because, uh, for example, uh, I lost the birthday of my kids. I love the birthday of my grandson. I love my 60 years birthday. That, that, that was in the in the in the jail. Be, before this happened, I always told my wife we have more than thirty years married, and that uh, when I got to the sixty years, we would do a very big party in a cruise. And well, that didn't happen. I was alone in a jail, and she sent me a cake that day. By the way, and I I, I was in the you know what I'm gonna do with this cake. So I tried to share with my my the people that were there. And try to have a, well, a, a, at least a good moment in my life. But I'm trying to catch up right now all the time lost. I'm trying to catch up with my grandkids. I'm trying to catch up with my kids. I'm trying to catch, catch up with my wife. And well, this is something that I'm really enjoying now. I'm catching up with my pets also. So, so I'm really enjoying it. I'm really enjoying it. 
in the last five years, America and the world has changed in so many ways. I've spoken to many former hostages, and they say when they're being held in captivity, it's like you're frozen in time. Time stands still for you, and yet the rest of the world moves on. What are the changes that have stood out for you, as in, what are the changes that you've noticed since you've been home? Okay, this is something so true. You know, the first time I heard that is when I saw the interview of the lady of, of Australia. I, 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 I don't, she's Kylie Gilbert Moore. Okay. I saw an interview they give, gave to her and she talked about that. And then I, I heard that from Nazanin and then I heard that from Trevor. And I said, God, this is the same thing we're feeling because it's, it's you, you feel like you're in a time machine. You're in a vessel in a time machine and the, and that time is, is, is stays still. But the, 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 the world is continuing evolving and moving. So when you go back, because we, we had, uh, during all, all these five years, we had two very small house arrest. The first time I had that, Two months house arrest in 2019 when was shocking for me because my mind couldn't realize the, the two years and a half already has passed. And now that I have five years, sometimes it's kind of, I, 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 my mind doesn't recognize it. I'm still in that process. And that world has changed so much. You know, now the world, the, the world is, there are wars and there are a lot of, um, the pandemic also put uh, a lot of uh, sensitivity in the skin of the people. So I'm kind of learning that. And by the way, that seems like simple like a phone. I'm learning how to use it. You know, I, 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 for me, it's very new. You talk about, I was in the Twitter. Yes, I, I, I opened my Twitter account and I'm learning to use it. I, I'm not very new using it. So I, I'm trying to learning a lot of things. For me, it's a, a lot of things that I had to re relearn again. I mean, that learning never really stops. But you're, you're absolutely right. So as Dr. Kylie Moore Gilbert. She was a British-Australian academic who was held hostage in Iran for about 802, maybe three days. Mm -hmm. um, the second person was Nazanin Zagari Ratcliffe, the British charity worker from London. So uh, if you listen to this podcast before, you know who Nazanin is because I've interviewed Richard Ratcliffe uh four or five times wow. uh, I, uh, my very first episode was with uh, <laughs> richard ratcliffe nazanin's husband okay. i campaigned with him for almost six years uh wow. to free his wife nazanin and uh third person you mentioned trevor reed uh the american and former u.s marine who was held hostage pretty much in russia for three years two and a half years or three years joey and paula reed trevor reed's parents were the first American family I interviewed in my second episode. Um, and again, I'm so happy that he's free. Um, and he was actually taken to that same facility in San Antonio when he yeah. returned as well yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, earlier this year, right? Yeah, and you've been in contact with Trevor? Yeah, we, we had have, we have some the other day, some kind of some chats, yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I admire all these guys that I'm talking about is that they have been continuing campaigning for, for this. So so they they inspire you, what they're doing, because all of the three persons that I mentioned, I'm following them right now. I know they are very heavy campaigning, 
And and I want to do that because I, I believe that this is the right thing to do. Because again, this, as you put in your uh, podcast, the, the, uh, the hostess diplomacy is something that people are not aware that is happening. And it's happening in, in a, a lot of countries in the world. And this is something that has to stop. Because, you know, uh, you, you can be a UK citizen, you can be an a American citizen, you can be an Australian citizen, a Belgian, whatever. And then you're in, you, with your family in a family trip, you know, you're in touristing somewhere, taking photos, chilling out. And that day something wrong happened and you finalize in a jail. And then you stay five or six years because you have that citizenship. So that is not good that 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 that, that it is happening, and the people are not aware about the situation. And for example, I learned that one of the hostages now that we have in the campaign that I'm going to talk later on is this guy of Rwanda, Paul Russo Sabahina. I, I am a movie lover. And I, I enjoyed the Hotel Rwanda movie with my wife a lot of years ago. I admired the guy. And then knowing that he's kept in jail, for me, was a shock the day I, I learned about it. And now that I, he, his family is in the campaign, his daughter. So for me, something means something that everybody's pushing in the same direction to get the people released. So... People need to know about this. So I want to raise the awareness of this. No, thank you very much for doing that. We could use all the help uh, we can get because um, as I say uh, in my interviews, hostage diplomacy doesn't happen to everyone, but it can happen to anyone. Correct. Correct. And uh, that's why it's one of the reasons why I created this podcast and I interview people from all around the world. Uh, to show that this is not just an American problem, it's not just a British problem, it's not just an Australian problem or French or German problem. Uh, it's a problem that affects many countries around the world. And you're going to need an international coalition to tackle this issue. Um, and how we do that, that's, that's still something very smart people in positions of power need to get to, need to get together and talk about. And what I'm trying to do is just raise awareness, educate the voters about this issue and how it can affect them and get them to write to their members of parliament, their senators, their congressmen, and say that this is something people want you to fix. And that's kind of the objective of this podcast. Um, I saw your other post on Twitter where you said you attended your first church service in five years. I interviewed the families of five of the six or six, and many of them said they looked to religion to find solace, to find the strength to cope with this ongoing trauma. Was that what you did? And what other ways did you use to find the strength to carry on? Well, definitely, the answer is yes. One of the things that we learned during all, all this process is that you need to come back to God, whatever you believe, because I understand that you can believe in maybe a, another presence, but, but you need to go back to God. Because why? Because sometimes you, you uh, forget about this. And you know, when in, in, I always talk about my past life, in my past life, I remember that sometimes I was driving to home 
or driving to my job. I, I was always busy. And, you know, I saw that there was a, like a Bible study thing. I said, why the people are doing that, wasting their time doing that? Well, let me tell you, at the end, we were doing kind of Bible studies every day in, in, in during uh, stay in the jail because we have an episode that happened to us that I, I, I am always talking about it because I believe it was a magical episode. Okay. When we were there in the, in the, in the jail of the, the DGC is a military installation. We were in a basement that is like a two or three, four floors. In the basement, and uh, you know, by that time we didn't have access to no books. There was no TV, no radio, no no, no nothing, and, and, and we were kind of uh, all the day doing nothing, only thinking and thinking and thinking. And one day, one guy could smuggle a small pocket Bible, and he told us, "Hey, I have a, a pocket Bible." So uh, we begin to read that, that small, very, very small Bible uh, with candles. And then uh, after that, we begin to read it. You know, we, we begin to have some kind of a relief reading the Bible, but we did it in a very uh, uh, quiet way because we had the cameras that could see you there. And one day one of the guards came in and saw us reading. And we, we got, oh, this guy is going to punish us. And, and then, but the guy, we learned that his family was religious. So the guy came to us and said, no, 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 continue doing. You're doing good. And the other day he brought us a, a, a praying Bible, a big Bible. He said, take the Bible, take the real Bible. And we begin to read the Bible and, uh, and that, that process continue and continue and continue. And the people begin to go morph to, to us. But in, by that time, we were around 150 people there. And f from those 150 people, almost a third begin to read the Bible with us. So now we were like 50 people reading the Bible. And it became like a church. And, and, and that, that was kind of a magical momentum because really you, you felt the presence of God. That thing made us, uh, all of us, begin to read the Bible every night. We we begin to study the Bible, you know, the the, the Old Testament, the New Testament, and we, uh, you know, was a daily daily thing we were doing, and they gave gave us a lot of relief. I can tell you that every night we did that, and we slept in peace. So when we were released. And I came back from San Antonio. The first thing I did that weekend was go to the church. And I went to a church that, that my, my daughter-in-law was uh, assistant. And it was a magical moment also because uh, this is a very big church, almost 1,000 people, very big, very big. And, you know, I saw that playing music, it was so amusing the moment and and the, and the priest he he was aware about our situation because my my daughter-in-law had told him and that guy came and he hugged us and you know and i i felt like i was like as you know the holy spirit was coming to me he was so relieved and i said this is something that you had to be aware and i think that everybody that's going through a situation like this or 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 
anything that the, it's not that you have to go to God because you're having a, a bad moment. It's because you always have to go to God. So I believe that this, this is something that we learned there. And well, we will continue doing it because it's something that gave us a lot of relief. I'm glad. And uh, you're not the first former hostage to say so. Um, in my last episode, I interviewed American humanitarian Aya Hijazi, who was wrongfully imprisoned in Egypt for three years. Um, she said one of the things that got her through her captivity was uh, religion um, and uh, spirituality. So uh, it's uh, something I see quite often with former hostages. Even Nazanin, when she was held in prison in Iran, um, she looked to religion as well uh, to find hope. So, yeah, it, it's uh, it's quite common, and uh, I'm glad you're going to continue it. No, because I want to point out that that even that religion, we we, we in some point we we had opportunity to we were allowed to bring books and. Most of the people that were kept in, in that facility, unfortunately, are political prisoners. And they are, we knew, a kind of clever guys, you know, high-ranked political prisoners. And and they, and they when they were allowed to bring books, we wrote a lot of very interesting books that maybe most of them, to tell you the truth, maybe I will never read them in, in my life if I were not being there to have the time to read them. So one of the books that, that kind of... Uh, Mark me was a book that is called the Man in Searching of in a Meaning. That is a, a guy that he was Jew, Victor Frank. I I was not aware about that book. Okay, it was the first time I saw about it. Maybe you have it there, no? Okay, you're looking at. It. <laughs> well, let me tell you. For me, okay, that's a, hey. This is the, the the book Man Searching for a Meaning. I can tell you, everybody in his life has to read that book. But, you know, reading in the jail has something more amazing because you can understand that why that guy could survive. And that is the answer why you can survive if you look for a meaning of your life. And, and, when, and, and when we realized that the meaning to survive was our family, that we needed to be good in, in soul and body and spirit for our family, that made a, a lot it was a boost in, in our life. So uh, that book, everybody has to read it. So I am glad that I could read that book in jail because for me, it meant, meant something. The reason I bought this, this arrived like three days ago. And I, I no bought kidding. this because you mentioned kidding. this. Uh, oh, you bought it. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I bought this it? because you've been tweeting, you, you've been tweeting quotes about this. Okay, correct. Uh, uh, on your Twitter feed. And you, you mentioned, you mentioned it in interviews. So I decided, okay, I'm going to buy this. Uh, and it, it, I haven't read it yet. I mm. have read parts of it. And I've definitely seen like the quotes you've been tweeting. So yeah, it's, it's a, it's a very good book. That book, let me tell you. A, so a thank little, you, thank you for that. A, a little heads up on the book. This guy, uh, uh, Victor Frank, he was uh, he was uh, from Austria, okay, and, and he was the head of a psychi psychiatry hospital. He was psychiatry, okay, and he was developing a, a theory that is now called the logotherapy, okay. The logotherapy is a therapy mean uh, that when you have a logos, 
logo in, in Latin is meaning. So, but he couldn't finish because he was kept to, he was sent to the concentration camp with the family. But he realized there that the people that survived was because they had a meaning in their life. Because they were always thinking, I have to go back to my family. I have to go back to my life, to my wife, to whatever. The people that, that lost the meaning, they died. They frozen. They, they appeared in the night dead. They passed away. So that guy, after he went from jail, he c concluded his study. And now is the famous logotherapy theory. So it's, it's amazing. The book is amazing. I can tell. It's amazing. Everybody should read it. Yeah. So for our listeners, um, the book's title is Man's Search for Meaning, the classic tribute to hope from the Holocaust. The author is Victor E. Frankel. Mm -hmm. uh, so please do buy this book. They don't sponsor us, but you know, <laughs> go for it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Um, and uh, yeah, so no, genuinely, it's a great book. Yeah. Um, and I, like I said, uh, I interviewed Aya Hijazi last week and she mentioned that she was reading Maya Angelou uh, okay. and it gave her the similar kind of inspiration. And as I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, Jose, I interviewed your son, John, in August. We discussed at length your arrest, the conditions of your detention, your medical issues, including your heart attack and catching COVID, uh, your sham trial, as well as what the US government, journalists and the public can do to help. I know the wounds are still fresh, but would you like to walk us through what happened from your perspective? In our case, well, unfortunately, in our case, we were kept... <sighs> We were kept in the middle of a, of a political situation that we, we didn't have absolutely nothing to do. Because when, uh, uh, when we, when we get caught, the situation between Venezuela and, and the U.S. was kind of bad. It was a lot of sanctions that were going in place. And when they realized that the, 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 the team were Americans, so they said, Hey, now we have this guy here. So they begin from day, kind of from day one to, to, to see what they can do with us. But when the things be, be, become to get worse, because in 2018, the, the U.S. embassy in Venezuela was expelled. So the relation was totally broken. There was no communication and, and the, and the sanction continued going, they become to be personal sanctioned, sanctioned to U.S., uh, Venezuelan companies, banks, uh, you know, ministry, whatever. And, and the thing, and, and then uh, in 2019 erupted uh, a, a, a opposition leader that, that, you know, so it was a kind of a big dispute between Venezuela and U.S., and we were caught in the middle. We were in a kind of a perfect storm. And we, we were like a puppet or a pet in a cage. And, and we were like, a, you know, caught in the middle of everything. Every time the thing went worse, it went worse to us. And, and, and when, when the U.S. decided to go and, and talk directly to, to these guys because of us, and I, I, I have always the gratitude to Ambassador Carter and his wonderful team on Espeja, because this is something that, that is not of politics. Because one of the things that always happens is you get caught in the middle of politics. 
in something that you don't have absolutely nothing to do because we are not politics. We don't have absolutely nothing to do with that. So you say, but why I'm suffering this? Why am I going through this? Why I have to do with this? But it, that is the situation. So my, 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 my recommendation in, for the future, if for any government, is that put beside the politics when there is a hostage case. It, it, it's kind of have the moral courage, take the right decisions to bring the people back. But no, don't try to play politics with, 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 with them because I have heard that in other cases, that has been the case. They have been caught in the same, in the middle of political, political issues. So Jose, you touched on a very important point when you mentioned uh, governments should not play politics and uh, innocent people should not be caught in the middle of this. Now, the US government passed the Robert Levinson Hostage Recovery and Hostage Taking Accountability Act a few years ago. It's named after Robert Levinson, who is an American citizen who was held hostage in Iran and has now been presumed dead. I believe he was taken over a decade ago. And sadly, he's been presumed dead. So in the wake of this, campaigners, including his family, uh, the James Foley Legacy Foundation, um, have lobbied Congress to create a law that helps bring home Americans wrongfully detained and held hostage overseas. Uh, it priorit- it gives it gives the government power. Um, it prioritizes this issue. And as per my understanding, this applies to both American citizens and lawful permanent residents. However, it appears that it is much harder to be classified as wrongfully detained if you're a U.S. permanent resident as opposed to a citizen. An example here would be U.S. lawful permanent resident Shahab Dalili from Virginia, who has been held hostage in Iran since April 2016. He is not the only American currently held hostage in Iran. American citizens Siamat Namazi, Murat Baz, and Imad Shargi are also being held hostage in Iran. However, Siamat, Murat, and Imad have been classified as wrongfully detained by the US government, but Shahab has not, even though the circumstances of his arrest were similar to the others. What are your thoughts on this, given that you yourself are a lawful permanent resident in the United States and not yet an American citizen? Okay, that's a very, very good question, Darren, because uh, first of all, uh, when the... Levinson Act was approved. That it was a good, very good start. Let, let's, let's put it from there. It was a very good start because now you have like a kind of a procedure how to handle when the hostage case come and how to handle people to be classified as wrongfully detained. This is like kind of a overall first step, but more has to be done. For example, recently, as you mentioned, the, the executive order was uh, issued. I believe that was part of the pressure that had been going through the government for that. But there is still more to have been done, doing because you mentioned, for example, the, the, the case of this permanent resident, Dalili is his name? Yes, it's Shahab Dalili. Dalili, okay. Well, to tell you Shahab the Dalili, he's uh, from uh, Virginia. Yeah, I, I don't know what, what is his case. In a particular case, uh, uh, um, as you said, we were six, five were citizen. I was a permanent resident in the process to become citizen. But, uh, you know, our case was so clear 
so clear that was a sham trial that when we decided uh, to to proceed with the government to to submit all the paperwork for be classified as wrongfully detained, it, it, the, the case clearly was considered like that. But said that that process sometimes takes too long because uh, uh, when when the person is get caught as a hostage uh, from diplomacy, sometimes it takes too long. Sometimes it can take years, and 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 that should be expedited because that again the person doesn't have the fault. That, that get cut in the middle of some political thing. So the first thing that the government should do is 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 protect that person. And this is something that should happen worldwide because the U.S. doing it right is doing it properly. But I believe the other countries like UK, like uh, Australia, Belgium, French, whatever, should do the same. So you mentioned it early that this should be something uh, something more. Worldwide, I believe this should be something at the level of the UN. This should be kind of a Levinson Act at the level of the UN, because the Levinson Act created the state's PIHA office. That, as I said, and I can say that clearly here, that is amazing a team. Ambassador Carton and all his team are amazing. Ah, with a very big A, amazing. Uh, by the way, I call Ambassador Carter Captain America because he's Roger, you know, he's, he's Captain America for me. So he's doing so great that we need more, more, more Roger Carter worldwide. Should be more Carter in the UK. It should be more. So it should be even in, at the level of the UN. So this is what is happening. And I think one of the, the, the things that for me, raising the message, making the pressure, things like the Bring Our Family Home campaign are doing, are, are, are making this more visible. And, but there is more things to do, to be done. For example, the things like the Richardson Foundation or the Foley Foundation or the America Curie Foundation. There, and there, hostage, uh, hostages USA, hostages worldwide. There are several foundations that are doing so amazing job, but the people are not aware. The people are not aware. I can tell you, uh, Darren, after this happened, I was contacted by hostages USA, US, the NGO that, that, that is taking care of post uh, traumatic events. And they are doing so awesome. I'm, overwhelmed that the help I'm receiving from them. Uh, I, 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 they are calling me two, three times in a day uh, 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 how I'm, I'm taking care of my thing. Because one of the things that no, nobody realizes, once you come back, you have a lot of issues that you have left behind. Because you said that the, the world continues. So then you have financial issues, tax issues, billing, whatever. So, so you, it's like a shocking moment that you, you receive in this moment because you realize that you, the life continues and you have to catch up with the life. So this is part of the help that the organization are doing. And I'm kind of a, so overwhelmed on what they are doing because these, these are people that, that like you are advocating for the people that have been kept hostage. And that this should be more visible. 
the people are not aware about this situation. That they are not aware about all the good job that all these organizations are doing. And, 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 and well, in the in the way that I can spread that message, I'm gonna do it. I really am gonna do it. Absolutely. And again, it goes back to the fact that hostage diplomacy doesn't <laughs> happen to everyone, but it can happen to anyone. Right. If this was something, if hostage diplomacy and hostage taking was a lot more common many more people would uh, be aware of this. But the thing is, most people, most members of the public think, well, this is something that's not going to happen to me or very unlikely to happen to me, or I'm not going to travel to these dangerous countries or these countries that have uh, adversarial relationships with my home country, so I'll be safe. Um, but again, that doesn't necessarily mean it won't happen to them. But yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, they deserve a lot more publicity. Uh, Hostage US has done phenomenal work, not just for returning hostages, but for the families of current hostages. So I think when I interviewed Alexandra Zambrano Forseth, uh, Alirio Zambrano's daughter and Jose Luis's niece, she said that uh, Hostage US helped her sister uh, with a mortgage for a house or something. But they... they f- they do help families of hostages while they're in captivity as well. No, no, no. I, no, I wanted to emphasize that that, that, that is totally true. And, 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 and I'm, a, I'm a proof of that because they are taking of me so hard. They are pushing me so hard that I feel kind of over, overwhelmed how they are doing it. In, in that case that I received called two, three days, uh, two or three times in the day, Hey, how are you doing, Jose? Are you taking care of these? So <clears throat> they're on top of everything. They're doing so good job that, that, that again, I was not aware that these uh, NGOs and these institutions were doing so awesome job. Institutions like the Foley Foundation. Can you imagine when I talked to the people and said that, 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 that Mrs. Diane Foley, that is a wonderful lady, did what she did after what happened with, with his son, is something amazing. Things like like what uh, uh, Richardson, uh, Bill Richardson and Mickey Berrigan are doing, advocating because they believe in that. Period. They believe. They believe and they do it because they feel it. They mean it. The Fokuro Foundation, you, you are doing. So the people that are doing this thing are doing it because they believe. They believe they're do, doing things that can change the world, and so, so it's it's amazing. I I'm kind of uh, happy. The, in some way that because you are part of the family that maybe you didn't want to be, but now that the the the, the, the life and God put you in that position, now you're happy that you know these guys. So I have met people that maybe in other situations I will have never met, and now I know that are so awesome people because of the situation I went through. So you know that is part of the meaning of the life. I had the honor of interviewing Diane Foley earlier this year. Um, you're absolutely right. What she's done is incredible, given the murder of her son, eldest child, uh, James Foley. Um, yeah, they do. The James W. Foley Legacy Foundation do incredible work. Um, another thing that one of the family members of a current hostage has mentioned is the U.S. government's approach of bringing some people home, but not everyone home. Like 
earlier this year, before they brought you home, they brought your colleague Gustavo Cardenas home. They didn't bring all the Sigil Six members home. Um, they brought Trevor Reed home from Russia, but they didn't bring Paul Whelan and Brittany Griner home. Um, and this kind of approach where they're taking some, they're bringing some uh, American citizens held hostage overseas back home, but not all of them, in itself causes problems. Um, so I believe it was Elizabeth Whelan that posted a tweet on Twitter about this saying, this is what happens when the government doesn't bring everyone home at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, what do you think the government should do? And for people who aren't aware what it was like being left behind, can you talk about the, the moment you found out that Gustavo Cardenas, your colleague, was being released? Now, don't get me wrong. I understand you. every single one of you were so happy for him, right? There was no doubt in anyone's mind he deserved to be released. Uh, but what was it like for you, for the rest of you, watching him go home uh, know, while at the same time knowing that you were left behind? You know, there the, are the, the, the two mixed feelings because the, one is that enjoy, the joy of the moment that your colleague is being released. And of course, the other is that, that you know, you feel if it's going to happen to me or I'm going to be left behind. Okay. In the particular case when the Gustavo was released, I had the honor to be there because when, when, uh, you know, we were in that moment only with him, uh, Tomeo and, and me. We were looking, by the way, a, a soccer match, you know, we were big fans of soccer. We were looking, I don't remember which match it was Real Madrid, whatever. So Gustavo was called to a meeting in the direction and a few minutes after he came kind of in shock. And when, when he told us, I'm going to go. So for us it was like a wow, but was a, a, a good wow because we knew about he was so needed to go because his son. So for us was Gustavo go. And, and let me tell you, nobody complained about that. None of us, none of our families, everybody was really happy. But of course, at the same time, our family was kind of, when is going to happen to our dad? In my particular case, I can tell you, I never lose the hope. Never, absolutely never. I always told my, my wife, you know what? Because she went totally down thinking that I could be left behind. And, and, and when we saw the case, for example, of uh, Miss Whelan, about his uh, brother, and the pain that happened that they brought Trevor, it, and that Trevor itself was kind of a feeling pity on the situation. Gustavo, the same. I know that he, he told our, our family that he, he feel kind of guilty. He didn't have no, 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 no reason to be guilty because, uh, you know, it could have been me, it could have been another of the guy. But the truth of the matter is that we never lose hope. And I always told my wife that, that be confident that we are we're gonna come together. And it happened. And let me tell you, the moment I was flying, my thought was for the other guys that were left behind there. Because remember there are other Americans that are still left behind. And two of them, there is looking Aaron, they were in, in the cell Beside us, they were our neighbors. We saw them in the patio almost every day, and we, we always talk with them, talk about books, music, whatever. 
and 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 their family talk about their friends, their girlfriends, their wife, their kids, their moms. So so when I was flying, I was thinking in them. I was thinking in them. So one of the things that of course that has to be done better, I know that Ambassador Carton is doing the best he can do, but you know, it, it's kind of difficult. It, it, the people, if there is the opportunity to bring the people, they have to bring everybody. So if you have the chance, you have to take it. In the case of Gustavo, you know, it, it, I remember that when it happened, my son told me, uh, he said, you know that Gustavo became the pizza. And I said, what is the pizza? He said, dad, when you see the movies that somebody, somebody takes in the bank uh, hostages, it, some days after, the, this guy is hungry, and he goes to the police and said, I'm hungry, bring me a pizza. And, and then the police say, I will give you a pizza, but give me one hostage. So that what happened with Gustavo. They, they were hungry, and they gave him a pizza. <laughs> so we knew that was, but for us, that was a momentum that was happening. He became the pizza, and after that, we will go, and that happened. I never lose the hope that this will happen and we are here back. So for the people that are left behind, my message is that I know the U.S. government and Basel Carton is working hard for, to bring them back. And, and part of the campaign, the, the maybe we will talk later, it, it, part of that is try, try to make some kind of pressure that that happen as soon as possible to bring the people back. Absolutely. And for our listeners, um, Jose's mentioned Ambassador Carstens and Spihar multiple times. If you've not listened to our podcast before, um, Spihar is an acronym that stands for Special Presidential Envoy for Hostage Affairs. And Ambassador Roger Carstens is, is the special envoy. And he leads a team, an amazing team that works to bring Americans held hostage and wrongfully detained abroad back home. Um, what else, Jose, should the U.S. government be doing better? Well, one one other thing, as I said, is that cut that bureaucracy and try to speed up the, uh, making the classification of wrongfully detained. That's one other thing. They sh the, the Foley Foundation uh, uh, emitted a, uh, his annual report, and one of the things that I read there is that they should give more leverage to the SPIHA team. That means that even they do an awesome job, they have some limitation because according to the law, whatever, they should have a more uh, leverage from the budgeting point of view, from the access to the direct access to the most uh, top officials of the U.S. Because one of the things we learn in during this process is that sometimes there are some kind of uh, roadblocks in, in, in the administration that if you could have that direct access, you could avoid those roadblocks. I remember the, the kind of the second time that Roger went there, you know, we, with the six came to be all the life executive of oil, always were planning and making project planning, that, that type of stuff. We told him, why don't you do a project planning with milestones? You know, it will be a good uh, way to handle this. Uh, because again, the, the roadblock sometimes is what makes this, the decision to be 
it takes longer and longer and longer. And, and longer it takes, it, is, it, it becomes more difficult. And the other thing is put the politics aside. This is something that should be not treated as politics. And this is something that this administration of the U.S. is doing good. They have made the moral courage to take the political side. And this is something that had to be very clear. This is not th- nothing related to politics. This is something related to human lives that deserve to be brought back to their families. You bring up a good point. Um, access to the decision makers within the U.S. government yes. and the roadblocks that are in place. This is absolutely right. So what, and that's not just in the United States, it happens in, uh, in the U.K., in other countries as well. So what the families of hostages and wrongful, wrongfully detained individuals abroad tend to do is they go straight to the media. Correct. And then that bypasses uh, these uh, roadblocks. So yeah. they go to the media and they get attention from a lot more people, including decision makers. Um, so if if the government gave them more attention and more access, then the families wouldn't have to go to the media yeah. um, to to then complain about this, about not getting access, about saying the government is not prioritizing this. I interviewed Elizabeth Whelan, Paul Whelan's uh, sister. Paul Whelan is an American and former U.S. Marine currently held in Russia, uh, alongside Brittany Griner. And she mentioned that transparency is very important. A lot more transparency is needed uh, from the government uh, to to reassure the families that everything is being done to bring their loved ones home. And that's that's what's lacking. Not the fact that they're not doing everything uh, possible to bring their loved ones home, but that transparency and sharing that information with the families. And that's definitely what needs to be changed. Um, Now, when it comes to journalists and the media, obviously they're very important uh, in kind of reminding people, raising awareness of hostage diplomacy, reminding people that we have these innocent Americans wrongfully detained and held hostage overseas. Um, And many journalists have reported on the Sitco 6. Maybe not all of them, maybe not enough, but there were definitely... A, a journalist that were reporting on the Sitgo 6. Um, what can journalists do to help? You know, the media is so important. And one of the things that for me is a kind of a lesson learned all this process is to all the families, and this is a message to all the families that have some somebody left behind. And, uh, and in some cases, if they are in the unfortunate situation that are kept recently, don't keep silent. The people have to go to the medias as soon as possible. Because one of the things that happens sometimes is that the, the first approach is don't say nothing, keep silent, keep quiet. We weren't going to handle behind the, the door, you know. So that was a situation for us the first year. We kept almost one, our families, I'm sorry. We kept like one year silent. Because we, by that time, we were instructed to keep silent. One year passed. Nothing happened. Nobody was taking care of us. So one day, uh, we meet among our, our six, because we were always like a, having kind of a board meeting, the, the six of us, brainstorming things. And we said, you know what? We have to go to the media. And the air family, it, it was kind of a... Uh, a bizarre thing because we were thinking and thinking and when we went to the family they already thought on that 
they always were uh, above us. We, we thought we were doing things and they already were doing it. So they were thinking to go to the media. So when they begin to go to the media, almost one year after is that our situation began to be raised up. By the way, the single six uh, uh, name appeared in that moment when, when we began to go to the media. The media were very good supporters. They, they became very good supporters. But one of the things that, that I suggest to the media, and I have been hearing from other people, is that when they refer to, to the cases, sometimes they put those titles that doesn't mean absolutely nothing what, what the case is going through. Sometimes the media said that six or six that were kept by, by corruption in the government. That was a sham trial. Everybody knew that. So why they are putting that as a title? Maybe because they want to sell the news. So the media should be more clear when they when they refer to the hostages, because everybody knows that the people that is taking hostages, why they are taken. So don't don't promote the news in the wrong way. This is a recommendation to the media. Sometimes I believe they do it is because they want to sell. I I I have seen cases like Britney when they refer to her. I, come on, she's kept because she's American. Period. N nothing more. So, so, uh, that is a recommendation, but even said that I, 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 I really, I, I'm glad that there are some media that have been very supportive in our case and, and it can be helpful for the future for other families that are going through this process. But that is my recommendation. I absolutely agree with you on that. And I've said that many times my, on this podcast, um, what the media does is in some cases like Russia, Iran, and even Venezuela, they repeat Venezuelan state media's prop, uh, propaganda. Correct. They they repeat uh, the government propaganda and it's meant to tarnish your reputations, make you look guilty. Correct. Correct. Um, so when they say uh, uh, six oil executives are guilty of corruption or whatever the, uh, false charge they uh, put you in jail for, um, it, you're doing the work of the Venezuelan government for them. Um, you are taking this, you are making this innocent person look guilty, even though they're innocent. Maybe, maybe some of them are doing it because of the headlines to sell uh, newspapers, to get some clicks. Mm. I do think some others, uh, some other journalists do it because they feel, well, we don't want to appear biased. Uh, we want to just report what the government says, but the problem is you need to do some investigative journalism. Correct. You need to understand, you need to go do some research, focus on the truth, not balance. And Correct. that's the problem. Uh, you can't, that's it's not just enough to say what the family say and then what the, uh, what this uh, foreign government says, do your research, look for the truth. I understand you don't want to appear biased as a journalist, but focus on the truth because when you just, when you just copy and paste the headline that this foreign government, I mean, when, when you just use this uh, false charge in that headline, when you're referring to this American citizen, this innocent citizen, uh, you're making things a lot worse for them. Correct. Um, so yeah, I absolutely agree with you on that one. Now, what can the American public do to help? And not just the American public, uh, people around the world, because you know, with 
social media, the internet, even if you're not, there, there were many people campaigning for your release who are not American. I'm not American. Right. <laughs> uh, so I, I'm a member of the public uh, yeah. and, and I can raise awareness, I've been raising awareness of your case. So what can members of the public do to help? Be, 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 be more involved because again, I, as I said previously, many people are not aware about this situation. I don't know if because they don't get the message or really they don't care because sometimes the people are kind of, uh, that is not my problem. I don't want to hear about it. I have enough problem right now in my life to have additional problem. And, and, and okay, that is fair. Maybe it's a fair of the people because it's a way they protect themselves. But 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 that is wrong. That is wrong because you, you said it several times today. You never know when it's going to happen to you. Because I can tell you, not even in my worst nightmare, I never, never in my life thought that something like this could happen to me. You know, I was a guy that I I had. More than 30 years being working in the oil industry without no failure. A successful career all my life. I never thought, I never had even a transit ticket. So I was a guy that I never thought that something wrong could happen to me. And then it happened this thing. And then my first thing is why this is happening to me. What is happening to the other guys that, by the way, the other five guys that was with me, the six or six, all of us are in, were in the same situation where six guys with long-term working in the oil industry with a successful career, with good families, a, a, a long-term marriage, and having no issue in their life. So all we saw why we six are in this situation, that can happen to anybody. So one of the awareness is that people should be really more conscious about this. And I, 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 you know, I, I don't mean that the people have to begin to be advocating like a, but the people should raise their voices. They should go to their constituents. They should begin to make pressure to take more care on this. Because if nobody, if nobody makes pressure on this, the people are left behind. I have been hearing some cases that people are left behind in China, for example, that, that in Syria, you know, and, and, and when I see those cases, to tell you the truth, that shrunk my heart when I hear the family of, of these guys saying that they're left alone. That, 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 that should not be happening. So, so again, one of the things that the people had to do better is, is put more pressure in, in the government officials to take more care on this situation. Because sometimes it's a matter of taking care. I absolutely agree with you. If it's not on the tip of the constituents' tongues, uh, politicians tend not to pay attention. Correct. Again, uh, as you said earlier, there's so many things going on right now. There are wars, there's pandemics, there's inflation, there's elections. Um, so many things going on and, uh, most politicians tend to govern by firefighting. Correct. So they, and, and unfortunately what that means is the loudest voices in the room tend to be uh, answered first. Correct. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, 
So that's what uh, you can do as a member of the public. Keep raising awareness of hostage diplomacy. Keep raising awareness of cases of Americans, uh, Brits, of uh, French nationals, anyone uh, wrongfully detained abroad, held hostage abroad. Now, Jose, in my last episode, I interviewed Aya Hijazi. Um, as I mentioned, she's an American citizen and a humanitarian who was wrongfully imprisoned in Egypt for three years. Mm-hmm. She told me that even though you leave prison, prison never leaves you. One of the most important things she recommends returning hostages do is ensure they have access to psychological care. Now, I, I know you mentioned that when you were in San Antonio, they had this compression period and you got, uh, uh, you, you had access to people that provided you with psychological care. Do you feel that you need this type of care going forward? And if so, have you been able to get access to it? Yes, yes. The, the quick answer is yes, because, uh, yeah, definitely the, the, the people when, when he's freed need psychological care, not only him, all his family. Because one of the process that, that, that may, maybe the people doesn't realize is that the family goes so, so much pain in the family. It's so, so much pain, the suffering, because sometimes I believe that the family suffers much more than the prisoner. Because when you're in the prison, you know that that is the situation. You know that you're there. You know what, what is happening to you. And you kind of begin to know how to manage it and survive it. And you, you, and you, you are there. But your family is always behind suffering. I remember when we were in San Antonio, I heard from one of the kids of our colleagues and my kids that they, I were, they were saying that they were invited to a party. They decided not to go because they were thinking, what is my dad eating now? They were going to go to a marriage. They decided not to go. They were invited to a dinner. They decided not to go. So their life became sad, became to be in pause because of us. So I can tell you in my case, in my particular case, my kids now, I have so much relief. So, you know, it's kind of a new start for them. <clears throat> so... Of course, you need some 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 psychological help. If you think even that you feel that you are okay, you need it because you need to restart your life. You you put it your clock in zero, and you're beginning back. So it it it, it will happen to you. It will happen to your family. So my recommendation, my strongly recommendation, is of course they have to take care of you. And as I said. Hosted in USA and, 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 and all the organizations that are receiving in San Antonio has been taking of us so much and, and I will continue doing it. I will continue doing it because I truly believe that it will help us. Yes. Jose, what recommendations would you give the families with loved ones still held hostage around the world? I know you mentioned psychological care. I know you mentioned don't give up hope. What other recommendations would you give them? Well, one of the things that I strongly recommend uh, to the families is that stick together. Because one of the things that we learned is that when, when, when our families, when our kids uh, decided to campaign together, that made kind of a boost in, in, in this situation, you know? 
the, the, not all, but almost all the, the, most of the family got together and created the Bring Our Family Home campaign. They did an awesome job. There are wonderful people working behind them. Even some of them uh, have been helping them from the communication and strategy, these type of things, have been working pro bono there. And uh, when 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 we realized that we were having families that had people kept in Iran, in China, in Russia, in Afghanistan, Venezuela, and, uh, you know, other countries, uh, Myanmar, whatever. So, and, and, and it became like a kind of a, the family that you really don't want to be part, but at the end, you become part of that family. And, and, and working together makes things more strong. So when they decided to, to unveil the mural in Georgetown, that was something amazing. Making that happen. When they did the, the, uh, the projection of the image in the building in the, in New York during the UN, uh, General Assembly, that was amazing. When they did last week the, the welcome home event in Georgetown, that was amazing. So they have been doing amazing things. And, and you know why? Because even that individually there have been some individual interviews of the family in medias or or even being received by the presidency. Every time everybody is talking collectively. They talk about their case, but they're talking collectively. They're talking among the rest of the world. So my recommendation is that continue doing it. And not only continue doing it, bring more people to the campaign. Because there are some people that decided to keep quiet decided to, for some reason, decided not to be part of the campaign. But I recommend the people to do it. And even the person that are released, of course, they're going to go to their normal life. Maybe they're not going to be 100% available. But give some part-time to the campaign. Like like uh, you're doing some kind of social uh, thing. So, so the point is that they stick together. And of course, Never lose the hope, never lose the faith. Because sometimes I understand that people can get down. The people that have now the family left always is why they didn't come, when they're going to come. Or in other countries, they say, okay, now I happened. I'm glad that I have been receiving messages from the people saying, hey, I'm glad that you're back. When is going to happen to my family? And it's a very... Uh, a compelling question because you 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 can put you have to put in in the foot of the, of the, of that person. They have their family that are waiting for, for for to receive them. For example, I'm gonna say it here. I remember the uh, uh, during the event uh, during the weekend that was the awesome event, the welcome home event in Georgetown. In the afternoon happened the the fire in the, the in the prison in Iran, and something that was beautiful. In few uh, hours, became a nightmare because you didn't know what what your family was going through. So this is kind of kind of roller coaster, and the the only way that you can go through it is, is sticking together, helping among each other, and of course, never losing the hope that they're gonna be brought back soon.
Are we thinking in that, that they will appear in the moment they, they, they don't know like it happened to us? So we're a proof. We're here that, that you can come back. That's great advice. Um, Jose, we're almost at the end of our interview. Is there mm-hmm. anything else you'd like to mention? Well, um, for me, first of all, it's a pleasure that, that you gave me the, this opportunity because it's the opportunity to try to give my message to the to the people that have family that, that are still there. Uh, try to raise the awareness to the people that doesn't have family, but you, you will never know when it can happen to you or can happen to somebody near to you. And uh, I know that there are a lot of things going on, but the people should be more aware about this situation. And I want to give that clear message to the, to uh, for the family that were left in Venezuela and the families there in, in uh, worldwide that they should stick together, continue campaigning and, and working hard to bring their, their family home. I think that this has marked a path Every time that the people are, are brought back, it's, it's kind of a learning process how to handle these type of things. And it marks a path because when we were brought, we were seven from Venezuela, one from Afghanistan, and one from Iran. We're nine guys that came back. It was a block of people that came back. And, and, and so I think this is going to, there's more awareness. I believe that, uh, again, the, the team of State Spija is doing so awesome that I, they are doing an amazing job behind the scenes and we're going to continue looking, people coming very soon. So I'm really uh, thinking on that. I'm thinking on them and I'm thinking that I, I will continue advocating to help them as, as much as I can in my possibilities. So thank you very much for having me here. You're very welcome, Jose. And I can't say this enough. Uh, I'm so happy that you're free and back home with your family. I'm grateful for the US government and everyone else that helped bring you home. I'm grateful that you're continuing to campaign for other hostages around the world. Thank you for taking the time to speak to us today. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Pod Hostage Diplomacy. Thank you for giving your time and for showing these families that they're not alone, that there are good caring people out there willing to stand by their side and help in any way possible. Um, Because if enough people care, then the right people will care enough. Um, This is a basic um, rule of thumb that is true for all campaigning. If you haven't already, please subscribe to our fortnightly newsletter called The Hostage Briefing. It's the best way to keep up to date with the cases we're working on, as well as new episodes. You can subscribe to this newsletter using the link in the description of this podcast episode that you're currently listening to. Thanks again and take care.